Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. I want to tell you a story I'm sure you've heard before. Because it gets told once a year in every church around the world. So much so I think people could get bored to the fact that I, I really became a man. I grew up and experienced every single feeling you've ever had. Every joy, every type of pain. And yet with every struggle that I faced, I came through flawlessly. The epitome of faultless. See, I was the most perfect person to ever walk the earth. I could cure disease with just a word. And you would think that would be enough for me to change the world, but it would end up taking so much more to do this. Let me introduce you to Judas, one who was supposed to be closest to me. He traded his allegiance for 30 silver pieces, sold me out to all the religious leaders, and they arrested me with their torchlights and their spears, and all my followers ran away out of fear. They led me in chains to a midnight trial because they didn't want the public to know because they knew it could start a riot. Had a whole line of witnesses prepared for perjury. And with every false accusation they made, it only strengthened their case to murder me. They spit in my face, hurling curses at me. What's worse is right about here, one of my closest of friends, Peter, said three times that he never heard of me. They literally jumped through so many hoops in order to get the governor's approval. Even let the worst of criminals go free in exchange for my funeral. Trust me, they made sure that I look crucifixion beautiful. Which means they whipped till my body bled red. Said any self-proclaimed king's got to be properly dressed. So they put a robe on my shoulders and thorns on my head. And they led me through the same streets that only days before people had shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. My friends, it would seem as if the weather had changed for sure. They took me to a hill just outside the city where they fastened me to a cross by hammering nails into me, into both of my hands and then into my feet. Then they propped that cross up for all to see me naked and alone, watching as the soldiers gambled over my clothes. I prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know. And then moments later, I died and gave up the ghost. And everybody went home thinking if he couldn't save himself, how could he have ever saved my soul? But that's not where this story ends. 
before I tell you the rest, I gotta take you back to where it began. See, you have to understand that every detail of the story that I just told have been promised before by the prophets of old. So you have to know, none of this took me by surprise. I knew when I came to the world, I would have to suffer and die, which leads me to the question of why, seriously, why? But I spent so much time setting up a story where the hero dies. Why would I trade a mortal life to be rejected, despised, and for ungrateful people, why would I become crucified? It doesn't seem right, right? But you see, I had to die so I could write your story with mine. I fulfilled every single prophecy so you can't even mathematically deny my perfection. I paid the price for the world's transgressions until that death had been the final end, but I made the exception. They tried putting me in the ground, but three days later, my friends, I resurrected and I'm still breathing and I'm still here and I'm in control and I love you and this my friends, it's Easter. And it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last breath. And a few hours before, he had told his disciples that the foundation of this new movement he was creating would be to love others the way he was going to display love. And in this moment, he was displaying love in a way that the world had never seen and would never see again. But as Luke is writing this, his only thought in the moment was, it's all over. And everything that we had believed in is gone. And what I know about many of you this morning, now this afternoon, as you are celebrating Easter, or maybe you're investigating the message of Easter, is that maybe you're in a place where you know what you should feel, but it just feels over. Or you know what you should believe and you should think and it just feels over. And I want to trust God. I want to believe God. I want to maintain faith. But maybe because of your circumstances and what we're walking through right now, it just feels like it's over. That was every single one of Jesus' followers on Easter weekend. And that's why there is such unbelievable hope as we look at the message of Easter. But here's what I want to talk about for a few minutes now this afternoon, and that is that it's so easy to miss because a lot of us are still clinging to a version of faith that in our minds doesn't really match the experience of our life. In fact, I would call it this, like kind of a middle school or high school version of faith that just said, man, if you just believe God or if you just have faith, then it's gonna work out or Jesus is gonna do it. And now all of a sudden you're at a place in your life where just the reality of your life and the experience of your life does not meet those expectations anymore. And in a sense, it's almost like your, your faith was kind of 
life outgrew it and it's no longer tenable anymore. So before I get there, I just want to one more time welcome you in. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor at Centerpoint Church. It has been an amazing day um, in all of our services. And so wherever you're at around the country, I was just looking a few minutes ago from uh, Tennessee to New York, uh, to a bunch of other places literally around the world. If you're a longtime follower of Jesus, just celebrating with us. California was another place I just saw a minute ago. Or maybe you're on the place of investigating. We're so glad you're tuning in and joining us. So here's what I'm talking about in terms of uh, middle school, high school faith. It's just that idea of if I just believe enough, God's gonna do it. And again, now all of a sudden, we're walking through something where our experience doesn't match those expectations any longer. And here's the amazing news about Easter is that was never the foundation of the Jesus movement anyway. And in fact, the foundation of the Jesus movement is an event in the fact that God has done something in history. And this is a spoiler alert that you already know about, but we believe that Jesus walked out of the grave alive. And here's what that means, that even with all of your doubt, and all of us, I think, at certain times have doubt, with all of your unanswered questions, with your bad church experience, with walking through things right now that you don't understand and we don't understand, that you can believe anyway. Not because you're being intellectually dishonest, but because this weekend represents that God did something that really overwhelms all of those other questions and all of those other doubts. Now, here's the thing. When Luke is writing this and all of Jesus' followers the weekend of Easter leave the cross, what you have to understand is they had zero hope in that moment. Like they had zero expectations. Everybody lost faith because in this moment, what they expected to happen, what they expected God to do and their experience didn't match up and they all lost faith. Now here's what you have to understand. Here's the reason they lost faith. Because on Easter weekend, when they saw Jesus die, the movement of Jesus died with him because Jesus was the movement. Like over and over again, Jesus would say, hey, I want you to believe in me, not in my teachings. I want you to believe in me. And so when Jesus was gone, the movement was gone with them. And Jesus was the message. Like over and over again, Jesus would say, hey, hey guys, I am the resurrection and the life. Now I'm not asking you to believe in resurrection. I'm telling you I am resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like unlike other religions, Jesus was the message. So when Jesus died, the message died with him and the movement died with him. And in fact, none of his teachings made sense anymore because they all hinged on Jesus. And so all of his followers that weekend lost faith. Nobody believed. There were no heroes and there were no Jesus followers. And Luke records it in Luke 24 that they move through the weekend with despair. Most of them are huddled up. They're scared to death. Peter, one of the guys that ends up being the head of the movement, is cowering to a schoolgirl in a courtyard. Mark is running out of a garden naked because he's so afraid. I mean, nobody stuck around and nobody was expecting a resurrection. And Luke records that early on Sunday morning after a whole weekend of just absolute despair, the women who were some of the followers of Jesus head toward the tomb and they're not expecting anything out of the ordinary. They're going there to embalm the body of Jesus or actually more accurate, re-embalm the body. Men had done it earlier this, that weekend. I think they just assumed they probably did it wrong so they're gonna go back and do it again. And so they're heading toward the tomb and they're not expecting anything unusual. And I'm just telling you, for these women, all hope was lost. Because Jesus was the first person in a Greek and Roman culture to actually give women value and elevate their status. And now that Jesus was gone, all that's gone with them. So they head toward the tomb. And Luke says in Luke 24, too, that they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. 
But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And, and this isn't like a clue in like, okay, maybe he really did rise from the dead. In fact, the women see that the stones rolled away. There's no body there. And they just kind of assume what rational people would assume that somebody stole the body, but they don't think anything else. And then there's kind of, you can read it for yourself, this funny interaction where an angel shows up. And I get it, if you're skeptical, you're like, okay, talking to me about resurrection is one thing, and now angels talking to people, and I get it. So just hang on with me. But they have a conversation with an angel, and the angel starts breaking down, hey, hey, ladies, don't you remember what God promised? Don't you remember he's been predicting that he would die and then come back to life? Like what you're seeing is not a stolen body. What you're seeing is a resurrection, and it's kind of funny, the interaction, because the women, like halfway through the conversation with the angels, they're like, oh, that's right. He did tell us that. We totally forgot. And they run away from the tomb and they run back toward all of the other disciples that are huddled up, fearful for their life because they can't wait to tell them the news. And Luke records it in Luke 24, 9, that they came back. They told the things to now, the now 11 disciples who are left and all the others. And then verse 11, but they did not believe the women. And Luke, I think as he's writing this, because he interviewed all these eyewitnesses because he wanted to give a very detailed account. I think when he's writing this, he's like, I, I'll just be straight with you. I don't know if anybody is gonna believe this story. Because if you are trying to write or make up a story for, for people to believe in the first century, you are not going to write in women as the first to discover an empty tomb because women had no credibility in the first century. Like women couldn't even be witnesses in court. Luke's like, nobody is gonna believe this. And the only reason I'm writing it is because it's what happened. And they get there and it says that when the women start to excitedly tell the story, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Because all the guys in the room are like, listen, hey, I, all due respect, messiahs don't die. Sons of God aren't killed. And come on, I think you took a long, wrong left turn and you ended up at a wrong, turn, wrong tomb and it's okay. But listen, there is no way that there is an empty tomb and somehow Jesus rose from the grave. It's nonsense. It's crazy. And I just want to tell you, this may be encouraging news to you because there's so many of you that are in a place right now to go, listen, there's some of it that I can believe and I want to believe that Jesus is a good teacher. But the fact that he rose from the day rose from the grave. It's just crazy. It's just, it's nonsense. All of Jesus' initial followers, they saw more miracles than we are ever going to see. They had more faith than we are ever going to have. And on Easter weekend, when they looked in a tomb or when the, the guys heard the witnesses of the women, they didn't think resurrection. They thought it was crazy. Nobody believed. Nobody was following Jesus anymore. And then Peter gets up, because this is what Peter did, man. He's always first on the scene or the first to like over talk and under deliver. And so he starts to rush toward the tomb out of curiosity. And Luke says that Peter got up, he ran to the tomb and bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And again, he's not clued into anything. He's not thinking anything other than like, what's going on here? He doesn't even think about the possibility of a resurrection. And instead he went away wondering, questioning, Still doubting, like what in the world is going on? 
And I think this weekend just went from really, really bad to worse, if that's even possible, because not only is Jesus dead, but his body is not in the tomb, and there's really no explanation, and we're probably going to get blamed for stealing it. But he's staring at an empty tomb, and here's what you have to recognize. In the moment, the only thing that Peter can see is disappointment. Everything that they had hoped for, gone. Everything that they were believing Jesus to do, gone. Everything that they were placing their faith in, it was gone. It was over. There was no hope. And I just want to encourage you with this, because this is part of the message of Easter, is that right now you may be staring at your greatest disappointment, and it just looks like a financial disaster. It just looks like a relationship that's not gonna survive. It just looks like a season of your life right now with so much uncertainty and I don't know where the next paycheck's gonna come from or I'm afraid of what this is gonna look like and all you can see is disappointment for good reason and you're exactly where Peter was at but there's Peter staring into this place and it's the greatest evidence of the greatest miracle that the world would ever know and he's sitting there wondering and God is already working in a way that would change all of the world. And you may be staring at your greatest disappointment because this is the story of God. He dresses up victory to look like death. He dresses up disappointment and hurt to be his greatest victory in your life. And you're wondering and you're staring at disappointment and God is already working. Now, here's the question, though, you got to ask if you were to drop into this point of the Easter store on Easter weekend. Like, if you were there, you got to ask the question, how in the world did this thing survive until Monday? Like, how in the world does it get out of the first century? How in the world are we here 2,000 years later? I mean, all of these guys lost faith. There was not a single Jesus follower Easter weekend. Everybody was hiding. It was embarrassing. Nobody believed. And now, 2,000 years later, a third of the world believes that somehow Jesus is God. That a, a Jewish carpenter that didn't travel more than 30 miles from his home never wrote a book. His movement and message is dominating the world in every language, every ethnicity, in every generation. How in the world did we get here? You have to ask that question if you're, if you're skeptical. And listen, I'll tell you how we didn't get here. We didn't get here because somebody stole a body. A stolen body did not create Christianity for this reason. These guys were not willing to die for Jesus while Jesus was alive. They were gonna die for Jesus after Jesus was dead. And they were not gonna die for what they knew was a lie because Jesus was the message. Jesus was the movement. It would have been pointless and it would have been dangerous. And come on, these guys on Easter weekend were afraid for their lives. If they weren't gonna die for Jesus when Jesus was around, they weren't gonna die for Jesus after Jesus was dead. A stolen body could not have created Christianity. And listen, a made-up story couldn't have created Christianity, really for a really simple reason. They would have made up a better story. Like, I think Luke would admit, if I'm trying to make up a story, it's terrible fiction. The women are not gonna be the first to get to an empty tomb. We're not gonna write in all of the people who become the leaders of the Jesus movement in as morons. Like, none of them had a clue. None of them were fearless. All of them were scared for their lives. Like, we're not gonna make up a story like that. Nobody would believe it. And listen, we would have made up a different story other than a bodily resurrection. That's too easy to disprove. Like, we would have made up a story of a, like a spiritual resurrection because well, there you see the body, but actually it's spiritual. And Jesus did exactly what he said he was gonna do, but not bodily resurrection. That's too easy to disprove. You can walk over to a tomb and go, here's the body. It's not legit. And yet they come up with this story 
And, and here's the last thing. Every major religion that somebody has come up with has surrounded in some way, go study it, sex, money, and power. All of Jesus' initial followers, they got none of those things. In fact, all of them, all of them, especially the initial 11 guys, all of them gave up their lives, not for what they believed, but for what they say they saw a resurrected savior. A stolen body didn't create Christianity. A made up story didn't create Christianity. And then last thing, and this may be surprising to you, and I'll dive back into the narrative, but listen, the Bible did not create Christianity. Don't know if you know this, but there was no Bible Easter weekend. Like they weren't in the room going, okay, Matthew, Matthew 3, 47, like what does he say? Matthew was in the room and Matthew didn't believe in it either. And John was in the room and John had no faith either. And there was no New Testament and there was no gospels. There was scraps of Old Testament writings, but there wasn't a Bible and everybody was afraid and everybody gave up belief. Everybody was terrified. And then somehow after Easter weekend, all of these guys who are running and terrified become bold and fearless and are willing to give up their lives. Again, not for a teaching, but for what they saw, which was a resurrected savior. And that is the thing that produced the Bible and people documented it. They wrote about it. They interviewed eyewitnesses. They were willing to give up their lives to preserve it. But listen, let me just ask you a question. Is your... Is your birth certificate the reason that you're born? Did your birth certificate birth you? And the answer is no. Your birth certificate is a record of your birth. The Bible is a record of what happened. But listen, apart from a resurrection on Easter weekend, there would be no Bible and you would barely know about the name of Jesus. And the only reason we are here is because they saw something, a resurrected savior. It's not because of a stolen body. It's not because of a made up story. It's not because of the Bible. It's because of an event that changed everything. And people who were fearful became fearless over the course of hours. And so Luke, as he's writing it, is like, let me start to unpack why we're here. And he records the story of two guys that were heading back from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. And in verse 14 of Luke chapter 24, they were talking to each other about everything that had happened because this is the only thing that mattered in their life right now. All of their life was centered around belief that Jesus was who he said he was. And this is the moment they realized it's all for naught. He's just another wannabe Messiah. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, which I love. Like, okay, so here's the thing we never talk about in terms of Jesus. And you're gonna think I'm playing, but I'm serious about this. Like the attribute that never gets any airplay is the fact that Jesus is very sneaky. All throughout, I could go story after story after story in the New Testament where Jesus is just kind of creepy or creeping is a weird word to use. So I, like subtle, I think is a better word, but he's, he's always sneaking, man. Because listen, here's these guys walking down the road and then out of nowhere, Jesus is like, boom, and he just joins them and they have no idea it's Jesus. They have no idea what his name is. And he just starts a conversation with them. And I'm just telling you, you see it all throughout the New Testament in places you wouldn't expect Jesus, in circumstances you wouldn't expect Jesus, working in ways you wouldn't expect Jesus to work. And he's just, he's just sneaky and he's good at it. Like unlike my kids, he's good. Like my, my um, middle boy Braxton um, pretty much eats all day long 
every day. He just like snacks incessantly. And so the other day he like wanted a snack and I'm like, no dude, you can't have a snack. We're about to eat. And he comes into the den a few minutes later and he's got chocolate all over his face. face. And I'm like, dude, you got a snack anyway. Like, why did you get in the pantry and get a snack? He's like, I didn't. And I'm like, yes, you did. Like there's chocolate all over your face. I know you think you're smart, but you're three and you're actually not smart at all. And like, I can see the evidence on your face. And then his go-to every time he gets caught in something, it doesn't matter what it is. Like he drew all over the wall. Um, He's got chocolate all over his face. His immediate go-to is it was an accident. And I'm like, you didn't open up the pantry and then fall face first into the chocolate and then inhale it and walk into the den. It was not an accident. Like you did it on purpose, and you're terrible at trying to sneak around even though you try to do it all the time. Like, he's just bad at it. But here Jesus is, and he's really, really good at it. And my whole point is this, if you think I'm playing. This is just true, because you're looking at things right now where there is no way that God's here, there's no way that God's present, there's no way that God's working, there's no way that God could use that. And you're right where these guys are, where they're walking down the road, and there Jesus is walking right beside them, and they don't see it. But I'm telling you, you're looking at that thing to go, there is no way that God's working, and you just need to be careful, because Jesus is sneaky, And you got to be looking for him because you may be staring at something that just looks like rejection and it may actually be God's redirection in that circumstance. Or you may be looking at something you're walking through right now and you're confined to your home and you're walking through all this uncertainty and we're dealing with COVID-19 and all the implications and it just feels like hell and God's going, actually, I'm reframing something to begin to point you in a direction to see some stuff about your time and your priorities and your family and you wouldn't choose this, but it doesn't mean I'm not gonna use this. And I'm just telling you, Jesus will sneak into circumstances and situations and start doing stuff that you would never imagine and you gotta be looking for him because just imagine this. These guys are walking down the road and they have no hope and they're standing three feet away from hope. These guys are walking back from a crucifixion and they have no strength and they are standing three feet away from all of the power in the world. And here these guys are and they, they feel like life is over and they are literally walking next to the resurrection and the life and they have no idea. And you have no idea. And Luke, as he's writing, it says that he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along like Jesus needed the info. And they stood still and their faces were downcast as we can imagine in verse 18. One of them named Cleopas asked Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? Like, hey, how, whatever your name is, I don't know if Jesus is working with an alias at this point, but how could you not know what's happening? And I love this. This is such a Jesus thing to do. Verse 19, Jesus said, what things? Like what's happening? What's going on? Fill me in. And I think Jesus' point in this moment is, I want you to tell me what you think is going on and then I'm gonna reinterpret all of your circumstances. And so they begin to tell him, hey, I don't know how you don't know this, but Jesus of Nazareth, he, he was the chief priest took him and he was handed over. And, and I can never get past this when I read the gospels because there's a little Greek word that may not be, mean a lot to you, but this little Greek word, paradidomai, and it, it literally means to hand over until, and to keep for safekeeping. 
And as Luke is writing this, he's like, the guys start to describe to Jesus on this walk, hey, hey, this is what happened, that Jesus was paradidomized by Judas over to the Sanhedrin, literally was handed over. And then the Sanhedrin paradidomized or handed over Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest. And we thought Jesus would stop it. We thought Jesus had enough power to end it all, but he couldn't. And then Caiaphas, the high priest, handed him over to Pilate, the Roman governor. And then Pilate, the Roman governor, paradidomite, or handed him over to Herod. And Jesus couldn't do anything about it. And then again, I don't know what, where you've been or how, you haven't paid attention this weekend, but then Herod, paradidomite, he handed Jesus over to professional executioners. And he was sentenced to death and they crucified him. And then verse 21 and. What we had hoped, because all of our hope was handed over with him, what we had hoped he was, that he was the one, it was all over. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this stuff took place. And now the reality is starting to set in and we realize everything that we had hoped in is gone. And here they are. And it's late Sunday morning. And you just gotta stop and ask this question for a second. It's late Sunday morning. They've had so many prophecies, so many veiled references and very explicit references that Jesus was gonna die and then three days later he was gonna rise again. And here they are. They've been there all weekend through all of the chaos and uncertainty and late Sunday morning is when they decide to go home. And if you were to show up into the story right now because we know the end, you'd wanna go, hey guys, you owe it to yourself to get a room and stay till Monday morning in case something happens and Jesus actually does what he said he was gonna do. But come on, you're gonna leave now? You're gonna start to walk away now on Sunday morning, three days later when Jesus predicted that he was gonna do something? Don't you owe it to yourself to at least stick around and see what might happen? And there they are walking away when simultaneously Jesus is working on the greatest miracle to all mankind and they have no idea. And I just wanna say to some of you right now, because I think this might be really personal, it's right where you are at. This is the parallel to you walking away from faith on Sunday morning when Jesus already has a resurrection in motion and he's going, why would you stop praying now? Why would you stop believing now? Why would you walk away from faith now? Why would you look at your circumstances now and go, I just can't see God at work and begin to walk away when you may be walking away late Sunday morning when God is already bringing life to a situation where you would have never guessed it and you owe it to yourself to stay till Monday to see what God might do because here's what the scripture teaches. There is some kind of thing that happens when you are willing to walk by faith when you can't see and when you are willing to wait when it takes longer than you had anticipated but here's the thing this is what I love Jesus after his resurrection these are the first guys that that Jesus came to after those initial followers because this is what Jesus does he constantly moves toward the people who've walked away from faith or abandoned because it is the reason that he came I came not for people who think they're righteous, but for people who know they're not, which is all of us. And I came to seek and to save the lost. And if you find yourself in a place where you've walked away and you have abandoned faith, not only is God not angry, God is pursuing you because it's the reason that he came. And so there he is with these guys who've lost all of their faith and he, he walks with them on this several mile journey back to their home, which Jesus constantly did, always inviting himself over to people's homes 
Zacchaeus, Matthew, these guys, hey, I know you don't even know my name, but let's go to your house and I'm gonna eat dinner with you. And so Jesus goes back to their house and they all gather around a table. And I can't overstate the emotion. They began to break bread and drink wine. And at some point during the meal, Jesus leans over and he breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread, there's this moment where they all capture a glimpse of his nail-scarred wrists. And in that moment, they realize that they are staring into the face of their Lord and Savior. And it's in that moment that they realize that everything that has happened has been real. Jesus really did die. The scars really are real. They are right in front of them. Everything that they had experienced this weekend was real. All of their doubt was real. All of their questions of, God, why didn't you? And God, why would you? All of that's real. And even now there's still questions of, God, why did you do it this way? Why did it have to go down this way? And they realize all of that is legitimate. But now in this moment, as real as all of that pain is and as real as all of that doubt has been there is now a greater reality and if their savior who died on Friday is now eating with them on Sunday it means it reframes everything and that even with all of their doubts and even with all of their questions and even with all of their God what are you doing all of that stuff is real but it has now been replaced by a greater reality and if a guy really did predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off it changes every And the guys at that table are going, Jesus, we're following you no matter what. And we're bringing our doubt and our questions and all of the stuff about suffering in a good God. Because if you walked out of a grave alive, to be intellectually honest, we have to follow you wherever you go. And this is the moment that fearful, cowardly, all faith is gone disciples have their faith renewed and it changes everything. And Luke describes it this way. And I think this is what's maybe happening in this moment for some of you. Luke describes in verse 31, that in this moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and they believed. And I'm telling you, they didn't believe because somebody stole a body. And they didn't believe because somebody taught a lecture. And they didn't believe because somebody died on a cross. They believed because they were staring at their resurrected Savior. And after that weekend, all of the guys who were running and fearful, Matthew, Mark, who interviewed eyewitnesses, Luke, who interviewed people who were there like Peter. John, who had lost all faith that weekend, but then re-engaged. They all began to write and document what they experienced that weekend. And later, Paul, who was an enemy of Christianity, became a Christian, wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, all based on not a teaching or a belief system, but on the fact that God did something in history. And then James, the brother of Jesus, who thought his brother was a lunatic on Easter weekend for good reason, after Easter weekend, believed that his brother was his Lord and Savior. How did that happen? I'm telling you, it wasn't a made-up story. It wasn't the Bible because there was no Bible. It was one thing. They went to an empty tomb and they found no body. And in that moment, it changed everything, not on the basis of just having enough faith, but on the basis of the fact that they saw a resurrected Savior and the story of Christianity and the story of Easter would not be worth telling without that. And so if you want to know the 
answer to the question, 2,000 years later, how are we here? There's only one explanation. Jesus rose from the grave. And when Jesus rose from the grave, it changed everything. And it's why you can let go of your middle school and high school version of faith that said, if you just have enough faith and belief, it's all gonna work out because Jesus promised in this life, you're gonna have pain. I actually promised you that on the front end. And what was crazy is that after this weekend, all of Jesus' followers who were so afraid, they experienced unimaginable suffering. And they never once, they never once dealt with the dilemma of why could a good God allow evil and suffering? And they never once were tripped up by the imaginary version of God that many of us create that says, if God is good, then nothing bad is ever gonna happen. And I'll tell you why they never doubted God's love and faith, even in the midst of unimaginable suffering, because they saw the best person they had ever known suffer in ways that they couldn't even conceive. And then they watched him come back to life. And they realized in that moment that the lion of Judah had conquered death forever and there was nothing to be afraid of. And one day he is going to fulfill every promise. And it's Luke and John as they're looking back where they realize everything that weekend, we got it wrong. Luke says that on the cross, Jesus handed over his spirit to the father and then John comes along in John 13 30 and he says a similar thing but he uses a different Greek word and he says that Jesus on the cross said father into your hands I commit my spirit and in that moment Luke and John and the guys are like we thought it was all over we thought Jesus life had been taken we thought that Jesus was a victim we thought that it was the moment where everything Jesus said he was it was all a lie none of it was true and now only in retrospect we realize what was happening in that moment because when John John writes the story. He uses that little Greek word that you see connected all throughout the gospels. Father, into your hands, paradidomai, I commit my spirit. And literally the word in this context means to hand over for safekeeping. And Luke and John were like, we didn't know it. We didn't see it. But in this moment, Jesus was saying to the father, I am paradidomai my life. I'm handing it over to you for safekeeping. But don't worry, I'm coming back on Sunday to get it. And it's in that moment we realize his life wasn't taken. His life wasn't snuffed out. He wasn't killed. He was not a victim. He came willingly to give up his life on purpose with a purpose and that was the salvation of all of the world not only was he not handed over he willingly handed over his life and then on Easter weekend he took it back up again and John in Revelation 118 says this he uses the word one more time because there's a face off Easter weekend after Jesus walks out of the grave alive and we don't know if this is figurative we don't know if this is literal, but here's what we do know is that on that weekend, Satan held the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And we hear the end of a conversation in Revelation 1.18 where Jesus confronts the enemy who thought that he had won on Easter weekend, thought that he had put to death Jesus on Easter weekend, thought that he got the ultimate victory on Easter weekend. And Jesus looks at him in Revelations 1.18 and John writes it. Jesus says to the enemy, paradidomai, Hand over the keys to death, to hell, and the grave because it has been 
defeated because I walked out of a grave alive and the encouragement to every single person that is watching this right now who needs to let go of high school and middle school Jesus and begin to embrace the faith that actually exists that can hold up under the complexity of life. Pain is promise. Hurt will come. Things we don't understand we will be asked to walk through and the confidence that we have in our faith is not the absence of pain or the answer of our questions. It's the fact that Jesus defeated death and if he defeated death, if he rose from the dead, it authenticated everything he said. And what he said is this, is one day I'm coming back with the full weight of my power. And nobody, listen to me, nobody has power like Jesus' power. Nobody can raise the dead with a word. Nobody can touch the blind and give sight. Nobody can start commanding nature so that it rolls back and has to obey. And Jesus says, one day I am coming with the full weight of all of my power because when I rose from the dead, it authenticated everything that I said that the chokehold on death has been given. It will not face up to the weight of what I have done. And it means that one day heaven is real. It means that you can be forgiven. It means that whatever you're walking through right now, it is not in vain and there is a purpose and we are not home yet. And it also means this, if Jesus rose from the dead, it authenticated everything he said about evil, that one day I am going to trample every injustice. And one day I'm gonna right every wrong. And one day every bit of dysfunction and evil and all the things that we see in our world and go, it shouldn't be this way. And Jesus said, it shouldn't be this way. And one day it will bow to me as the resurrected savior. And I will set up a kingdom that will rule and reign forever and mark it down. When I do, the expiration date will be up on death and the expiration date will be up on every virus and every dysfunction and every abuse and every cancer and every Alzheimer's and every bit of depression and every bit of mental illness and whatever you are walking through. And in that moment, I will say once and for all, for all of eternity, paradidomai, hand it over. I have defeated it all. And you can have hope wherever you are. That is the message of Easter. So I wanna invite you in as I close in this final invitation, because for some of you, this is the first time that has been framed for you in such a way that you can come intellectually, honestly, and embrace the message of Jesus. So I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. And you thought this was by accident, or you clicked on here to make somebody happy, and this is actually the moment that your God who loves you sovereignly ordained in order to pursue you and lead you to life and freedom and salvation. So I wanna give you that opportunity. Because if Jesus rose from the grave, if a resurrection really happened, it validated everything he said about his death, that it was for the forgiveness of sin and life for all people. That when he walked out of the grave, it is finished, paid in full, was written across all of humanity. That all of your sin, past, present, and future was nailed onto Jesus on the cross. And you cannot save yourself and I cannot save myself. And it's why Jesus came. He came for sinners in need of a rescue. And so Jesus says to you today, it's as simple as this paradigmai. Hand over your faith and your trust 
hand it over from you trusting you to you trusting me and recognize that no matter what guilt you're carrying, what shame you're carrying, what condemnation you're carrying, or how far down the road you have walked, you are never too far gone and you are, you are never outside the reach of my grace. And so right now I'm inviting you. I want you to transfer your trust to me. And when you give me and hand over your trust, I'm gonna take your sin, I'm gonna take the punishment you deserve, and I'm gonna give you forgiveness in life and you become a son and a daughter of God. So let's do that right now. Wherever you're at, I just wanna pray with you. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's your declaration of faith and trust. Jesus, I thank you that you are moving right now and you are saving and rescuing people right now. Pray this after me, wherever you are, if this is the moment where you would say, my eyes are opened and I believe. Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life that I couldn't live. I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sin. And I believe that you rose again. And right now I'm trusting you to save me and forgive me. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity in just a moment, but I just wanna encourage you, if you make a decision in this moment, would you just text CC I have decided to 94000. You'll see it in the comments below, wherever you're watching, because we wanna know about your decision. We wanna help you on this journey. So I can't encourage you to, enough. CC I have decided 94000. Let me lead you one more time. If this is your moment, pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sin. And three days later, I believe that you rose again. Right now, I'm asking you to save me and to forgive me. I trust you. And that may seem easy to you, but it wasn't costly. It took Jesus his life. But in this moment, that simple transfer of trust by faith, the scripture says that no matter what the rest of your life looks like, Nothing can ever separate you from this relationship and love of God because it's not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus' promise. And you in this moment have become a son and a daughter of God and we wanna celebrate with you. So wherever you are, would you just text us right now? And I wanna encourage you in this one thing. We wanna help you in this journey. So wherever you are around the country or literally around the world, I wanna invite you into a digital group called Starting Point. So if you, would, if you would text CC Start, this is a group that is designed to help answer your questions and help you as you are just beginning this journey to follow Jesus because we don't wanna leave you on your own. So right now, text CC Start to 94000 and let's celebrate with all of those who are placing their faith and their trust in Jesus. And lastly, I wanna invite you back next week. Our band's gonna come for the final two songs, so don't skirt out early. But next week, we start a brand new series called Tough as Nails. I can't wait to talk about this because here's what I know for most of us. Uncertainty right now with all that's happening in our world is almost unavoidable, but fear is optional. And we are given so much hope in the New Testament. And so I wanna invite you next week, if you would go to our social media channels, begin to follow us, Centerpoint FL, and share it and invite a friend in next week at 9.30 or 11.30 a.m. for Tough as Nails. Check this out and then let's worship as we close out our service today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? 
first, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family, maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.